0: Over the last few weeks, I think we could all say that we've begun to learn how distance affects our lives. Separation has changed us. I don't know what it's been like for you, but even when my family just goes out and takes a walk in the neighborhood, people have gone way out of their way to keep their distance from us. Uh, Just last week, my dad went to the store to do some shopping at, at Sam's Club, and surprise, he wasn't allowed in because of an age restriction. Just when you drive up and down the road, there are signs flashing saying, stay home, Practice social distancing. The overall message that we are experiencing every day is keep your distance. And you may or may not realize it, but part of the reason that this feels so awkward for all of us is that this is not the way that we were made to live. The distance, the separation, the space, it is not native to humanity. In fact, when God created the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, they were so close intimate, and connected, that they didn't even wear clothes. Nakedness, openness, intimacy, that is how God made human beings. Humans were created for connection. So what happened? What caused the separation? Well, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They distanced themselves from God, and the purity and perfection which God had given humanity was ruined. And this is how the story played out. According to Genesis 3, verses 7 and 8. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Main point sin separates. So now we live in this weird world where deep down we know that we were made for intimacy, yet we seek covering. We know deep down that we were made for connection, but still we keep almost everyone, even God, at arm's length. Sin separates. But why? What creates the distance? The word that the Bible used for it is holiness. Holiness is God's moral purity and perfection. He is, to quote Isaiah chapter 6, holy, 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 which basically means that God is set apart, apart, apart from everything else in the universe. And here is the hard truth that the scriptures teach us. In Romans 3.23, we hear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sin separates us from God and God's holiness separates him from us. So here's the dilemma that we want to discuss as we look to Luke chapter 23 this morning. How can sinners, people who have separated themselves from God, draw near to God, a God whose holiness demands separation from sinners? You know, more than ever, we understand the problems that come with separation. We feel the loneliness, the fear, the anxiety, the shame, the guilt, the confusion, the insecurity. And really, underneath all of these problems is the problem of sin. And God is giving us a unique opportunity in history to understand just how damaging sin is, but just how wonderful the grace of the gospel is. See, this question, how can sinners draw near to a holy God, is right at the heart of the gospel. And it is right at the heart of our text in Luke chapter 23 this morning. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open to Luke chapter 23, and we're going to read verses 44 through 56 together. And this is what it says. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, having said this, He breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. "'And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, "'a good and righteous man, "'he had not consented to their plan and action, "'a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, "'who was waiting for the kingdom of God. "'This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, "'and he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth "'and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock "'where no one had ever lain. "'It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin.' Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, let's pray together, and then we're going to dive in and break it down. Lord God, we just pray on this morning as you have spoken to us in your word that you would speak to us now that we would hear from you, that we would see you, that we would know you through your word. We need your Holy Spirit to lead us now. And so we ask you to come, change us, make us new, and draw us to your heart. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So if we are going to draw near to a holy, holy, holy God, then we must first draw near with the work of Jesus. Luke 23 is the narrative of the death of Jesus. Luke is describing for us the events that happened in vivid detail. He tells us that for three hours in the middle of the day, darkness came over the land. And then, without explanation or comment, he tells us that the veil of the temple was torn in two. And so we are left to ask, why was this veil there in the first place? And why did the veil tear in two when jesus was crucified so why was the veil there well the whole jewish religion is based upon separation because god is holy 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 he wanted his people to live in separation and he wanted to get to give them many reminders of his separation from them their rules for life inc- included separating special days months and years separating themselves by cutting away skin through circumcision Separating members of society who are clean and unclean. Separating different jobs based on being sacred and based on being secular. uh, Separating land, separating food, separating clothes, and separating spaces and places like the tabernacle and the temple. And all these different laws of separation culminate towards one main reference point. That God is holy, holy, holy. That he is set apart, apart Apart. Now, it is true that God's temple or His tabernacle, the place where His presence dwelled, was in the midst of the people, but it was not an open temple. There was a veil of separation between God and humanity. One person, only once a year, was allowed behind the veil where God was. And that person who went behind the veil must appear with a blood sacrifice. This veil was a constant invisible reminder that there was distance between God and man in our society we have a concept that connects separation with guilt and it is called prison when people commit a crime they are separated out from the rest of society and some people commit crimes that are so heinous and so awful that they are separated from society altogether by receiving the death penalty but most people who serve time for the crimes that they commit are separated from the rest of the world by bars, barbed wire fences, and guards with guns. The veil which God had set up in the temple almost seems like a jail cell for God. But it was actually the exact opposite because the temple was the place where God was. That was actually where life was made to be lived. The temple is like the Garden of Eden because God is there. So rather than God being locked up in a jail cell separated from the world, it was the whole world who was locked up in a jail cell separated from God. We were serving our sentence, separated from God. And what is more serious than that, we were on death row. Because as Romans 6.23 tells us, the wages of sin is death. So this veil, this piece of curtain that separated God from man it means that we are guilty so why was the veil torn when jesus was crucified the veil was torn because if someone wanted to go in where god was then something had to receive a punishment that was worthy of the crime so over and over and over in the temple animals were killed when jesus was crucified he was offering up himself as a sacrifice for sinners by receiving the punishment that they deserved. The whole world was like a criminal locked in a jail cell because we were guilty. We were serving our time separated from God, for the, waiting for the final day when God would execute the death penalty upon us. The Bible calls that death penalty hell. But then Jesus took the death penalty for sinners upon himself. So that the demand of God's justice would be met. And at his death, the veil got ripped open because there was no longer, the world was no longer stuck in a jail cell. We are now welcomed to, to, to draw near to God through the blood of Jesus. And this is the best news in the world. So if the veil means that we are guilty, then sinners, people who stand guilty before God, can draw near to God, a God whose holiness demands justice because Jesus makes us righteous in God's sight. Those who put their faith in Jesus are justified through his death. Uh, Justification simply means God's gracious and full acquittal of sinners. It means that because Jesus died in our place, God will never separate us from him because of our sin, not sins in our past, not sins in our present, and not sins in our future. Uh, There is a restaurant here in Myrtle Beach that I love, and it's called Rio's. It is a Brazilian steakhouse that I'm sure many of you have either seen or maybe you've even eaten at. And the best part about this place is that you can eat as much as you want. You have this little card on your table, and it's green on one side, and it's red on the other side, and as long as that card is set to green, they will keep bringing you as much meat as you want. But they know that when you turn the card over to red... It means that, they, that you don't want them to come over to your table and, and bother you. Many of us believe that when we sin, God turns His card on red to us. And then when we do some good or righteous deed to make up for it, He turns it back to green. And as long as at the end of our life we've had more greens than reds, then God will let us into heaven. But that is not the picture that the Bible paints. The Bible teaches that for all of us, God's card was always red because we are guilty and He is holy and just. What we see here in Luke 23 is that because of the death of Jesus, God's card is flipped to green. If we draw near by the blood of Jesus, God promises to welcome us. When you place your faith in Jesus, you are justified which means that God will never separate himself from you because in his eyes you are no longer guilty. So what does this mean for our lives? What this means for our lives is that the cross is the end of hopelessness. Some of us believe that we have done so many bad and awful things that we could never pay God back for the sins that we have committed. And guess what? That's true. But the good news is, Jesus came and lived and died for us so that we don't have to pay for our punishment anymore. Jesus died for us, and he did it freely as a gift. What this also means for us is that the cross is the end of religious sacrifices to appease God. Many of us believe that we must perform certain religious duties, like going to church or reading our Bible or serving other people as these sacrifices to make God accept us. Jesus Christ is the end of all religious sacrifices. The veil has been torn, and it actually shows that we don't believe that the sacrifice of Jesus was enough for us when we try to add to his sacrifice our own religious efforts. So the work of Jesus throws the prison door wide open. But still, just because the door is open doesn't mean that we know how to approach God. So if we're going to draw near to holy, holy, holy God, then we must, second, draw near in the way of Jesus. After Luke has explained to us the separating veil was torn as Jesus was offering himself up for sinners, he records for us the last words of Jesus. Verse 46 says, And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, He breathed his last. Jesus is in his most desperate, most agonizing, most painful moment, and he displays the utmost trust, intimacy, and closeness with his Father. So what can we learn from Jesus about drawing near to God? We see that Jesus cried out to God. God isn't a God that we have to whisper at. Sometimes when we draw near to God, we should whisper. But sometimes when we draw near to God, we should cry out to him. And notice that even when it seems that Jesus has been deserted, even when Jesus is being condemned to die, he still addresses God as his father. And in the moment when we would expect him to lose faith, in the moment when we would think that he would resort to self-pity, Jesus proves his ultimate trust in his father. He is faced with the worst of all fears. He is faced with the worst separation of all, the curse of death. And how does Jesus draw near to God when it seems that God is nowhere to be found? He commits his spirit to God. He entrusts his soul to God. Uh, Separation, you may recall, has played a huge part in our American history. There's a whole slice of our history as a nation that we call segregation segregation literally means to set something or someone apart during the time of desegregation or what we now call integration there were some people who had to go first to lead the way being a pioneer is a hard road i think of jackie robinson who was a pioneer for integration through major league baseball He showed the way. He taught us how. He displayed for us the characteristics and the resolve to unseparate. Many people were convinced of integration, but we needed a model. Jesus is showing us how to integrate. Jesus is showing us how to come close to God. Jesus is showing us the way towards intimacy and relationship with the Father. He is our model for drawing near to God. Now you may be thinking, okay, but what's so special about the way Jesus draws near to God? Is there anything out of the ordinary with this prayer? Well, in their culture of separation, to express this kind of intimacy with God was considered blasphemy. Remember, these people looked to the God who was holy, holy, holy. So for them, they must keep their distance. They must not get too close. And they especially must not engage with God as a friend or a family member. And I think if we're honest, many of us view God in the same way. We might call God Father when we pray. We might recite the creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. But we don't go running up into his lap when we worship or when we need him or when we feel the anxieties of life choking us or the fears of life haunting us. The veil, the veil of separation between God and humanity, that means that we are guilty, it also means that we are distant. See, we have to remember that scene in the garden when Adam and Eve had sinned and then God came to meet with them. Instead of running up into his arms and crying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I need you, help me, they found a good place in the woods to hide from God. So if the veil means that we are distant, then sinners, people who have distanced themselves from God, can draw near to God, a God whose holiness demands space because Jesus shows us the way. He is our example of intimacy with God. The reason that Jesus could approach the Father with intimacy and urgency and ultimate trust in His greatest time of need is because He was God's Son. And see, if you are a Christian, That means that you are God's son too. So, what this means for our lives is that we have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. When we pray as Jesus taught us to pray to our Father in heaven, we have the ear of the God of the universe. If you are afraid in these times, then cry out to your Father. If you are anxious in these times, then cry out to your Father. If you feel abandoned in these times, then cry out to your Father. And what this also means for our lives is that Jesus taught us how to trust God in the midst of extreme suffering and loss. Right? The fear of death is real. The pain of suffering is real. The disappointment of loss is real. And here, hanging on the cross, Jesus teaches us that we can entrust our souls to God. Prayer is the way that we actively entrust our souls to God. Jesus is teaching us from the cross how to deal with the fragility of life. Many of you over the last few weeks have lost money. Many of you high school seniors and college seniors have lost your last semester. And many of you have lost your jobs. But hear this encouraging word from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. Everything in this life is as certain as the waves, but our hope is anchored within the veil, in God's very presence, as the hymn writer has put it so eloquently, when darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Jesus is our forerunner. He taught us from the cross how to cast the anchor of our soul within the veil. And prayer for the believer is how we cast the anchor of our soul within the veil as well. And it will hold even when all of life is storming all around us. So the death of Jesus deals with our guilt so that we can draw near to God. And the cry of Jesus teaches us how to draw near to God as a child in prayer. But what about Jesus himself? What are we to do with Jesus? If we are going to draw near to holy, holy, holy God, then we must third draw near by the word Of Jesus it is interesting that after Jesus breathes out his last breath that there are different responses to the scene they all have seen the same incident the dark sky the cry from Jesus him breathing out his last breath but they respond in radically different ways the first character that we see who responds to the death of Jesus is a centurion the text says in verse 47 when the centurion saw what had happened He began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. The word innocent literally means righteous. It is the same word in Romans chapter 3 when Paul says, There is none righteous, not even one. Well, the centurion believes that he has found a righteous person, and so he begins to praise God. But then we read in verse 47, or excuse me, verse 48, it says, All of the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. These people respond in a radically different way than the centurion. The centurion was drawn to Jesus by what he saw, but the people created distance between themselves and Jesus at the awful sight. So the question is, why does the centurion begin to praise God, and yet the crowds merely beat their breasts in mourning? Why has the execution of Jesus just become a worship service for one man while it has has become a traumatic experience for the crowds? Well, the answer is because Jesus is the revelation of God. Jesus doesn't just speak the words of God. Jesus is the word of God. And at the word of the cross, the revelation of God at the cross, some people cry out in worship. But other people, at the revelation of God at the cross, turn and walk away. You say, how is that possible? Well, I thought of two things that happen in our world today that speak to this experience. Think about the world of social media. You know, some people see a post that's been put on social media, and they immediately block that person because they're so offended by what they see. And that same post, other people see it, and they add that person to their social media because they're so happy about what that person said. You know, it's the same exact message, but it sends the people in two opposite directions. And I know y'all remember that stupid dress picture from a few years ago that was going around. Some people saw blue and some people saw gold and they weren't making it up. They were actually seeing two different things. See, here in Luke 23, these people, they're all witnessing the same event. Some draw near, some leave the scene. Some declare the righteousness of Jesus but some just feel bad for themselves. Some begin praising and glorifying God, while others beat their breasts in mourning. So, the veil, the veil of separation between God and humanity, it means that we are guilty, it means that we are distant, but it also means that we are blind. See, when a veil is in front of something, we can't see what's behind it. And the crowd couldn't see. God Was blind to them. They had just witnessed God crucified and killed, but they never saw God. So if the veil means that we are blind, then sinners, people who can't see God, can draw near to God, a God whose holiness demands hiddenness, because Jesus is the revelation of God. When we draw near to Jesus, we draw near to God. When we worship Jesus, we worship God. When we see Jesus, we see God. And it is at the cross where God is most clearly explained to us. The greatest word from Jesus about God doesn't actually come from his mouth. It comes through his death. The cross is a call to worship because the cross proclaims that God is righteous The cross proclaims that God is love. The cross proclaims that God gives free gifts. The cross proclaims that God is gracious. The cross proclaims that God is sovereign. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, in which direction does the cross send us? Are we led to worship because of the cross? Or do we keep our distance from the cross? So I want to ask all of us a hard question this morning. What keeps you from drawing near at the word of the cross? Does the potential loss you might experience keep you away? Does the fact that you might be asked to give up your life? Does the pain and agony of delayed gratification keep you away? Do you have sins that the word of the cross tells you to leave behind, and you know that if you get too close to the cross, you might actually feel conviction over those sins. Hear this sobering word. Whatever keeps us from drawing near to the cross will in the end crucify us. Does busyness keep us from the cross? Well, then busyness will be our cross. Does pride keep us from the cross? Then pride will keep us. Excuse me, pride will be our cross. Does comfort keep us from the cross? Then comfort will be our cross. Does loving our lives keep us from the cross? Then the love of our very lives will be our cross. Again, hear this sobering word. Whatever keeps us from drawing near the cross will in the end be our own instrument of execution, separating us from God forever. The veil means that we are guilty, but Jesus swings the door wide open. The veil means that we are distant, but Jesus shows us how to come close. The veil means that we are blind, but Jesus reveals God to us. But how can we be sure? Do we have to tiptoe into the presence of God? Does God require that we put on gloves and a mask if we are to enter His presence? Finally, If we are going to draw near to holy, holy, holy God, then we must draw near through the weakness of Jesus. Now, we're not used to hearing that Jesus is weak. This seems odd to us. Jesus is God. Jesus performed miracles. Jesus conquers all of our enemies. But look at all of his friends, how they are standing far off. In verse 49, it says, And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee, were standing at a distance seeing these things. They have self-separated. And surely they have their reasons for not wanting to draw near to the cross, just like we do. But there is one man, there is one man, one friend of Jesus who comes and he takes down the body of Jesus. In verse 53 it tells us that, and he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. Here, the naked, bloody, exposed, shredded, exhausted body of Jesus in the arms of another man, lifeless. The burial process is one of the most vulnerable and awkward experiences possible. where you and me alive for our own burial, we would not be able to handle it. See, Jesus went through all of the most shameful and awkward and vulnerable experiences that we go through, which is why it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what what has been done to you. It doesn't matter what kind of shameful and vulnerable position you are in. It doesn't matter what you think your flaws are. Jesus understands you. See the veil, the veil which separates God from humanity? It means that we are flawed. We aren't perfect. We aren't from that pure and perfect Garden of Eden. We have done shameful things, and we have had shameful things done to us. But Luke is telling us that Jesus understands. Has everyone in your life distanced themselves from you? Jesus understands you. Have you been publicly executed for something that you didn't even do? Jesus understands you. Have people touched your body and done grotesque and inhumane things to you? Jesus understands you. Whatever flaw would keep you from drawing near to God, Jesus has entered into that flaw with you. Whatever shameful thing is in your life that would make you feel like you're unworthy, Jesus has entered into that shame with you. So if the veil means that we are flawed, then sinners, people who are flawed, can draw near to God, a God whose holiness demands perfection because in Jesus Christ, we receive sympathy. He became weak in every way that we are weak. There are times in our lives when we need the strength of Jesus, but when it comes to drawing near to God, there is nothing more helpful Than the weakness of Jesus. His heart is filled with sympathy towards you as he stands before the throne of God and represents you today. What I love about this narrative is that right before Jesus died, while he's still hanging on the cross, he promised one of the guilty criminals hanging beside him saying, "'Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise.'" See, this proves that we don't have to clean ourselves up before we come to Jesus. A criminal, a person that the world deemed worth separating out from life altogether, he is being welcomed to draw near to God by a weak and dying Savior. So what this means for us is that we can boldly draw near to God. I love how the criminal on the cross, he comes so boldly. He yells out at Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And if you've read some of the Bible, you can almost hear the disciples murmuring, saying, how dare he, a criminal, talk to Jesus in this way? And yet, this criminal is met with sympathy. This criminal is met with salvation. God does not require that we must wash our hands before we come into his presence. Jesus does not tell us that if we are going to come and appear before the presence of God, that we have to wear gloves and a mask. He wants us to come just the way we are, and he knows because he has experienced everything that we have experienced. So in conclusion, the question that we've been asking this morning over and over is this, how can sinners... People who are separated from God draw near to God, a God whose holiness demands separation from sinners. And as we've looked at Luke chapter 23, the simple and clear answer is this, that sinners can draw near to holy God because in Jesus Christ, holy God drew near to sinners. God became weak for us in Jesus God took our guilt in Jesus and he ripped the veil of separation that was between us. And today he welcomes us to draw near to him. While all the world around us is saying, keep your distance, keep your distance. God is saying right here, right now, this morning, draw near to me. So if you're listening to this and you don't have God in your life, then the cross of Jesus means that the welcome sign is on. Heaven is open. If you draw near to the cross and put your faith in Jesus, God will welcome you with open arms and he will make you a child in his family. And if you're listening to this this morning and you do have God in your life, then the cross of Jesus means that your anchor is holding within the veil So let us use these days of separation to draw near to God. He is our Father. He is sovereign. And He bids us to come and cry out to Him. He is a trustworthy anchor for our souls. So let's run into His presence together. God, we come before You this morning boldly. We come crying out to You as our Father. We tell You that we are sinful. We are weak. We are guilty We have distanced ourselves from you, but we are so thankful that you sent Jesus for us. That in Jesus, you, a holy God, you drew near to sinful people like us. God, I pray that that would change our lives. And that even if we have no opportunity for engagement with anyone else, that because you invite us into your presence, we can experience the fullness of life. God, we say yes, we surrender, we come near the cross this morning to know you and love you and worship you forever. It's in Jesus' name that we worship and pray, amen.